Well, it's preaching time. We're in Galatians this morning, the book of Galatians, over in the New Testament, chapter number six. Galatians chapter number six. When you find your place, we'll stand. Galatians chapter number six. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you're still looking for it, say oh me. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> oh me, oh my. Galatians 6 verse 14. The Bible says, but God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I Unto the world. What a verse. I want to preach for a little bit. If the Lord will help me on, I will glory in the cross. Lord, help us tonight or this morning or whatever time of day it is. I'm so full, my heart's overflowing at the goodness of God and just the joy of being with God's people in God's house. Help us now as we do our best to declare the word of God. I pray that you give us liberty and power. May God's people be blessed. May Somebody today that's not saved, get saved, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so very much for standing. You can be seated. The, the uh, book of Galatians is a book that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church of Galatia that had been infiltrated, if you will, by a group of people that was pushing a works-based gospel, a works-based salvation. And Paul is addressing this and dealing with this. And one of the works that they were trying to force on the church of Galatia was the act of circumcision. And uh, Paul talks about this in the previous verses. In verse number 12, he says, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. And so circumcision is the context of the verse number 14 we'll get to in just a moment. God implemented circumcision with a covenant with Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter number 17. And in the New Testament, the apostle Paul addressed this issue of circumcision that there was a group of people that were trying to get those that were not Jews to get circumcised. He dealt with it back in Romans chapter number two. I do want to take a second and just look at this because it's the context of our verse. And though we're going to focus in just a minute on verse number 14, I would like to just touch on the, uh, the context. And that was of the, the, the works of, of circumcision being forced on the Gentile believers. And Paul addressed it in Romans chapter number two. And in verse number 17, all the way down through verse number 29. And I won't take the time to read all those verses, but he talked about the uh, verse number 25, circumcision verily profiteth if thou keepeth the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if, thou, uh, if the circumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision doth transgress the law? Verse 28. For if he 
uh, is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So Paul is addressing this controversy that those that are Gentiles, after they get saved, for some reason or another, had to be circumcised and, and, and be a partaker of this covenant God made with Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter number 17. Paul referenced it again in Romans 3. Right there, you should be right there in your, in your Bible still. He referenced it again, verse number 1 of chapter 3. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? And he goes back down, jump back down to verse number 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded by what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Seeing it is the one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith. God forbid, yea, we establish the law. So Paul touched on this, this uh, pride, this boasting, this matter of, of uh, this elitist attitude that many of the Jews had about circumcision, completely misunderstanding why it was given and the New Testament application of it. And, and you get back over to our text in Galatians chapter number one, Paul dove into this subject very quickly in this epistle to the Galatians. And uh, I mean, in Galatians chapter number one, he did his customary greeting in the first few verses. But when you get to Galatians chapter one, verse number six, Paul begins to express his concern over this false doctrine that had infiltrated the church of Galatians. He says in verse six, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. They goes on to verse number seven, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. By adding works to salvation, they were perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul said it's not, it's another gospel. They've changed the gospel. They've They've distorted and perverted the gospel of Jesus Christ and circumcision has nothing to do with getting saved. And salvation is by grace through faith plus nothing minus nothing. The Bible teaches that and we believe that. There's not a lot of people today that believe that. Most people add some form of works to salvation. No matter where you go, they're trying to add something to it. But we believe the Bible when it says, for by grace are you saved through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen. So we believe salvation is by grace through faith, but there was a group of people in the church at Galatia that was introducing, reintroducing works and they were confusing and, and frustrating the grace of God, Paul said in chapter 2, 21, all right? So, and he, he closed out chapter 2, verse 21, if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. They were adding law. They were adding works to salvation. And from chapter 1, verse 6, all the way down to verse number 12, the apostle Paul hammered this, this false doctrine, this false teaching. And much of the book of Galatians is written about this. 
What am I saying? I'm saying that Paul rebuked them sharply. Uh, they were trying to gain bragging rights, apparently. It was, a, it was a feather in their cap. When you get to our text in chapter 6, if they could get these, these Gentile Galatian believers circumcised, it was something they could brag about and boast about. And uh, your, first, your first sign that something's wrong is if it makes the flesh look good or feel good. And Paul deals with that bragging, that boasting in several of his writings, which we just looked at. But our text this morning in verse number 14 is, God forbid that I should glory. And then he says a very unusual thing, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. They were wanting to get these New Testament believers in chapter 6, verse number 12 and 13 circumcised. The Bible says that they may glory in your flesh. But the apostle Paul was quick to remind them, we don't really have anything to brag about or boast about or glory about. But, he says, if I'm going to, I'm going to boast and I'm going to glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, that statement really just got to me. I begin to think about the cross of Christ and what a strange statement that he would say that we would glory in the cross. Because when you think about the cross, it is a symbol. It is an emblem of many things that you wouldn't think that you would want to brag about or boast about or glory in. First of all, the cross is a symbol of suffering. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 12, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Boy, I don't have time this morning to take the word of God and break down the sufferings of Christ on the cross of Calvary. But I believe we would all agree this morning that Christ suffered on that cross from the nails in his hands and his feet and the thorns in his brow and the piercing of the side and the scourgings and all that went on on the cross. He suffered for us, the Bible says. So when we see a cross and it's used in a lot of places, we have one hanging on the wall here, just a picture of the cross. People wear it around their neck, jewelry, things of that nature. But can I tell you something? The cross is a picture and a symbol of some of the greatest suffering that ever took place on this earth. When our Lord Jesus Christ suffered. It's a symbol of suffering. It is a symbol, secondly, of shame. Great shame attached to the cross of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, 2 said it like this, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The shame of hanging on a cross, which was a tool and implement that was used by the Roman government to execute convicted thieves and killers and malefactors and criminals and those that were capital punishment. And Jesus hung up there between two thieves, an innocent man, a just man, one that never sinned, one that never did anything wrong. He was the perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God. What a place to die, the shame of the cross of Calvary. And then he add to the shame of the company and the, and the whole statement that was being made, being nailed to a cross. But the Bible tells us that he hung there naked. Cannot imagine the shame and the reproach that our precious Savior had to endure on the cross as a place of suffering, a place of shame. It's a place, thirdly, of separation. Suspended between heaven and earth on that cross. Being looked at by the world. And the reproach 
and the shame and the spitting and the, and the wagging of their heads, the Bible says, and the mocking that he had to endure on that cross. But the ultimate, as far as I'm concerned, was being separated from God on that cross. And one of the statements that Jesus made, one of the most heart-rending statements that you'll read in your Bible was when Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It occurred to me, Brother Sasser, Jesus experienced something that you and I never will experience. Separated from God. He was one with God. You say, how could he be God, one with God, and be forsaken by God the Father? I can't explain all that to you. I'm not even going to try this morning. I'm just telling you what he said. And that's in Mark chapter 15, verse 34 where he cried with a loud voice, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That cross is a symbol of suffering and shame and separation. But fourthly, it's a symbol of sin. When you see that cross, you realize the reason that cross was there was because of sin. That's why there had to be a cross. There had to be a cross. There had to be a sacrifice. There had to be the death of the perfect sacrifice because of the sin problem. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Boy, you you and I can't imagine. We cannot begin to fathom the sin that was laid on Jesus Christ as he hung on that cross. Every sin that had ever been committed from the beginning of time to the end of time was laid on Jesus Christ. What a burden. If you're here this morning, you understand the burden and the load and the guilt that you feel when you sin, when you do something wrong, that burden, that weight that is on you. God put every sin that has ever been committed on Jesus Christ when he was on that cross. I can't imagine. I can't, we cannot imagine. I mean, the physical suffering is bad enough, but when you add the, 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 the mental anguish that, was, that he was dealing with on that cross... My goodness. And then for Paul to say, if I'm going to glory, I'm going to glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a statement. What a statement. I began to think about that last night. I began to write down some things why I believe the Apostle Paul said that. I actually had quite a long list. I've just put it down to three this morning. But we can glory in the cross along with the Apostle Paul this morning for at least three reasons. Number one, the cross is where love was proven. Where love was proven. You know, there's so many people today that feel unloved. You hear it a lot. People kill themselves because they don't feel like anybody cares. Nobody loves them. They overdose and they shoot up drugs and they just want to end it all because they feel so unloved and so forsaken. But can I tell you this morning, on the authority of the word of God, you are loved. And a lot of people will tell you that they love you, but they don't live it, they don't prove it, they don't demonstrate it. And the way they treat you and the way they act doesn't match up with their lip service. Can I get a witness? One thing I'm thankful for the cross this morning is it was a place where the love was proven without any shadow of a doubt. 
The love of our Father was proven at the cross of Calvary. John 3.16 is a verse that I believe, Brother Berner, I believe I could hear it every day and never get tired of it. Anybody that gets tired of hearing John 3.16 hadn't listened to it very closely in a while. For God so loved the world. What a mess. What a mess this world is in. Brother Bale, this, this world is a mess. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave his son. He proved his love for the world when he gave his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. John 3, 16. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love him. How many of you love him this morning? We just sang that song. Did I mention that I love him? How I worship and adore him. You know why we love him this morning? Because he first loved us. The God of heaven initiated this love relationship that we have with him. My goodness. Brother Brett, I never get tired of thinking about it. I never get tired of preaching about it. 1 John 4, 10, here is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What about that? What a blessing. He loved the world. And he proved it on the cross. When you see that cross, it is a proof. It is proof that God loves you. But there's a false doctrine that's being spread today. I ran into something this past week that blew my mind. I thought, how many different false doctrines can they come up with? Devil's churning out a whole bunch of them. You read stuff and people say stuff and they sound like they've got authority and they sound like they know what they're talking about. There's only one problem. It's not in the Bible. And I heard today, I read this past week where somebody said that it is incorrect to tell lost people that Jesus loves you. They said God loves sinners, but Jesus didn't. Jesus only went to the cross because of his love for the Father. And I thought, you just hadn't read your Bible. Why would somebody want to spread the lie that Jesus doesn't love sinners? I begin to read my Bible, which is what I always do when I hear something stupid. I go digging my Bible. Because I know, I I, I, I almost said I knowed it was a lie when I heard it, but that would be bad English. I knew it was wrong when I heard it. I went back to my Bible. Why would somebody say that it is wrong to tell sinners that Jesus loves you? I learned that song as a little kid. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. So I begin to read my Bible, what I always do when I hear something crazy. And I found John 15, 13, where Jesus says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I read Mark chapter number 10 and verse number 21 where the rich young ruler came to Jesus and the Bible says, then Jesus beholding him loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come take up the cross and follow me. And the Bible says he turned and went away sorrowful. He didn't get saved. Jesus still loved him before he got saved. Ephesians 5, 2, we walk in love. 
as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lived in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Revelation chapter one, verse number five. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Why would somebody say Jesus don't love lost people? I could have given you more, but my finger was getting numb from all the copying and pasting of Bible verses into my notes. Of course, God loves sinners and Jesus loves sinners. Come on. And he proved it. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You're telling me he didn't love the church till after they got saved? Is that what you're telling me? He loved us before. He loved us. That's what took him to the cross. That's what allowed him to submit himself to the will of God. Did he love the Father? Of course he loved the Father, but he loved the sinners. No question about that. Why else would he say while hanging on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Tell me that's not a statement expressing love for those that are lost. So if it's okay with y'all, I'm just going to keep telling sinners Jesus loves you. If it's okay, I'm just going to keep telling little bus kids when they get on the bus that Jesus loves you. And I'm going to tell the dope heads on the street. And I'm going to tell the prostitutes that come in here with their heads hanging down. I'm going to tell those with the needle marks in their arm. I'm going to tell those that the devil has spit up and chewed, chewed up and spit out. I'm going to tell them with authority that Jesus loves you. And he proved it on the cross of Calvary. The cross, we can glory in the cross because it was a place where love was proved. But secondly, we can glory in the cross because it's a place where life was provided. We can glory in the cross because it is through the cross that we have life. Not just eternal life. Well, we can preach about two hours on that. But life now, I don't know about you, but I'm living. I'm living. I'm living it up. I'm living. Spencer testified in Sunday school this morning with tears in his face. He said, I'm content with my life. And I said, only people that know God. Only people that know God can truly say, I love my life. I've got contentment. I've got satisfaction. I've got purpose. Hey, that was given to us because of the cross. Because before the cross, before we got saved, we were not living. Amen. The Bible tells us in John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Though he were dead, yet shall he live. John 20, 31, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. We can glory in the cross this morning because it was through the cross that we have life. 
1 Corinthians 15, 22, the Bible says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. What about that? Y'all sure are taking that good this morning. Before you got saved, you were dead. You were dead. Ephesians 2 says it like this, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. But God, who is rich in mercy, Woo! And here it is again. Wherewith he loved us. Come on now. Wherewith he loved for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins has quickened us together with Christ by grace ye are saved. Colossians 2.13 says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. I'm saying we've got life this morning because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter number five. If it's all right with you all, if I read a little bit. This Bible right here sure does help me. It'll help you and do you good all at the same time. Romans five, look at this. Let's just let God's word speak just a little bit about this life that God's given us through the cross of Christ. Romans chapter number five, verse number 12, whereby as one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. For until the law sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, but not as the offense, verse 15, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many, and not as it was by one that sinned, and so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Look at verse 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, talking about Adam and Eve sinning in the garden, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound Woo! but where sin abounded grace did much more abound that as sin hath reigned unto death even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord I'm saying we can glory in the cross this morning because it was through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ that life was provided for those of us that were dead in trespasses and sin don't feel sorry for me this morning. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, don't feel sorry for me. Don't look up here and say, oh, bless his heart. I feel sorry for him. That's what I was saying yesterday for all them Oregon fans. With their little green t-shirts on. I feel sorry for them. Bless their heart. Don't feel sorry for me this morning. Because, hey, he took me out of the graveyard. He took me out of the muck and the mire, and he gave me a life worth living. Hallelujah. We can glory in the cross this morning because of the life. Aren't you thankful for life this morning? Not just life down here. Not just abundant life down here. 
But one of these days, I'm going to kick the bucket, as we say down south. I'm going to kick the bucket. That's an old farming. When a, well, I guess when a cow or a mule dies, they find a bucket and kick it, and they fall over dead. I don't know. I'm going to kick the bucket one of these days, Brother O'Donnell. And when I do, Paul said to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. I'm going to have everlasting life, eternal life. And it's not going to be because of me. It ain't going to be because of one single good thing that I've ever done. But it's going to be because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that this morning is something to glory in. Thirdly and lastly, let me give you one more. The cross we can glory in this morning because it was where liberty was purchased. I like that word liberty, don't you? Liberty sitting out here on the front row. Wait, why is Liberty? Her name's Liberty. I like that name. I like that name, Liberty. I like that word, Liberty. Give me liberty or give me death. I like that quote right there. We need more people say that today. Give me liberty or give me death. Amen. But I mean, I'm not just going, I'm not going to just roll over. If you, if you take my life, you're going to have to earn it, all right? I'm not. <clears throat> come on now. I'm not, I'm not that spiritual. I mean, I want to go to heaven, but I don't care about going on the next bus load. Amen. I got a morning. I'm grateful this morning for liberty. Because the Bible tells us that before we got saved, we were slaves. Uh, Brother Brother Budok told me uh, that they're celebrating Labor Day over there at Annapolis. It's just what you said over there at the Naval Academy, and they're taking names off the buildings of some of those great naval officers because they were apparently some kind of slave sympathizer or something. And I said, you mean the same guys that actually started the Navy? Are we going to keep the Navy? Are we just going to change the name on that building? I don't make no sense. The stupid is as stupid does. This whole thing is just ridiculous. And I'm against slavery as much as anybody, but tearing names off the building ain't going to fix nothing. It ain't going to fix nothing. They tore all those monuments down in Baltimore. Did that fix anything? Are we better off because of that? Somebody felt good for about 10 seconds. And they went back to ducking all that firing in the streets and shooting in the streets. And our nation's under attack. And I'm, I'm not, I, I don't want to get off on all that. Well, y'all leave me alone. I'm trying to preach. Quit. Stop. Don't get me started. I like, I love liberty. I love liberty. I love liberty. You know what I love more than liberty as an American? Because that, that's in jeopardy. Can we all agree that's, that's a little iffy right now? That's a little iffy right now. All them three-lettered institutions, all of them. All of the three-lettered the IRS and ATF and FBI and CIA, they don't like that word liberty. I like that word liberty. But right now, that's a little bit iffy. But I can tell you what liberty ain't iffy. That'll make a good bumper sticker right there. What liberty ain't iffy. And that is the liberty that was purchased for me on the cross of Jesus Christ. Nobody can take it away. The devil can't take it away. The world can't take it away. I was a slave. I was in bondage. I was in chains. But on the cross, he purchased my freedom and my liberty. And I can glory in that this morning. 
Absolutely. Mark 10, 45, even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, watch this, and to give his life a ransom for many. That ransom's a word that we use when somebody's been kidnapped. They've been stolen. And they stick them in a room somewhere and put them on an old dirty mattress and put duct tape around their hands and over their mouth. And they call the family and they say, we got your kids, we got your wife, we got your son, we got your daughter. And we're going to hang on to them till you give us a ransom. And I know some parents will say, you keep them long enough, you'll bring them back tomorrow, I guarantee you. <laughs> you'll be paying me to take them off your hands before this is over with. You didn't grab the wrong youngin. And they go take that money and they give it to them in exchange for that prisoner that's bound. It's called a ransom. And when Jesus died on the cross, you know what he did? He paid our ransom. <laughs> he paid our ransom because we were children of Satan. We were children of hell. We were in chains. We were in bondage. We were serving that old cruel taskmaster. And when Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood. That blood was the payment for the ransom. Amen. Galatians chapter 2, I'm done. Galatians 2, 4, and that because of false brethren. We're back in Galatians again. Unawares brought in who came in privately to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ. That we, they might bring us into bondage. Here we are back in our text in Galatians. We've already been made free. Jesus paid for our freedom and our liberty, and now you're trying to bring us back in bondage by adding works, circumcision to salvation. Look at Galatians 5.1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. I love chapter 3, verse number 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? You say you get saved by grace, but you're kept by works. No, we're not saved by grace and kept by works. Amen. I go to church every time the doors are open, and I tithe, and I give the missions, and I pray, and I read my Bible. And I try to treat my fellow man with love and respect. And I try to obey the laws of the land as much as I can. <laughs> but I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't do that to be saved or to get saved or to finish out my salvation. My salvation's paid for. It's done. I'm free. I'm at liberty in Christ. By the way, I like that word liberty. It means I can do everything that he wants me to do. I got liberty to do everything he wants me to do. And I told my kids this week, I said, I do, I do what I want to do. But when I got saved, he changed my want to's. <laughs> Brother Brett, I drink all the liquor I want to. If you're recording this, don't stop the recording. I ain't done. I drink all the liquor I want to. I just don't want to drink none. Amen. He changed my want to's. I've got liberty. I'm free. I had a young lady sit in my office just a few months ago and she said, I just want to be free. The only reason why somebody would make that statement, A, they're lost and have no idea what free means 
or they're saved but have no idea how much freedom and liberty they really have. I'm afraid I'm trying to wind this message up. I'm trying to get done. I'm trying to land this plane, but I'm, every time I do, I touch down on the runway and I think of something else and I have to circle the airport one more time. We've been glory in the cross this morning. And the emblem of suffering and shame and sin and separation, but it is also a place <laughs> where the love of God was proven and where our life in Christ was provided and where our liberty was purchased. That, my friend, is something to get excited about. Let me ask you this question with the heads bowed and eyes closed. Has the cross of Christ liberated you? Has the cross of Christ raised you from the dead? When did you come out of the graveyard? As Brother Sammy used to say, when did you come out of the graveyard? When did God reach down and save you and quicken you, make you alive? There may be somebody here this morning with folks coming to the altar. Folks are coming to the altar. Altar's always open at Calvary. There may be somebody here this morning say, Pastor Shifflett, I'm not sure if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. I'm not sure. I hope I would go to heaven. I think I would, but I cannot say with 100% certainty that I know that I'm saved and that I'm going to heaven when I die. Would you be honest enough this morning to slip your hand up so that I can see it? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. Anybody anywhere? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. I see that hand in the back. God bless you, sister. Anybody else? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Pray for me, please. Anybody anywhere? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. I see that hand. God bless you. God bless you for being honest this morning. We wouldn't embarrass you for a million dollars. We just want to help you. We want to take a Bible this morning and show you from the Word of God how you can be saved. If you're watching online, there's a number on the screen. that If you'll text that number and say, I need to talk to somebody, we'll call you in just a few minutes with a Bible and try to help you over the phone. You might want to just get in this altar this morning and thank God for your salvation. You might want to just get down here and thank Him and praise Him for the wonderful, wonderful gift of salvation.